Welcome to the Brattle Bookshops podcast, known affectionately as the Brattlecast. I'm Jordan Rich. We're talking about books, old, new, rare, out of print, people who buy, sell, collect them, appraisals, uh, not just books either, postcards, games, magazines, you name it. And with me is the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop on West Street in Boston, Ken Gloss. And Ken, this is going to be a fascinating one because uh, I can hear ears perking up collecting not a whole series of different titles, but one title. And I know there are many out there who have this bug. Well, actually, it's interesting because you don't really think of it at first, but there are a lot of people who collect one book. (laughs) Uh, I remember when I first started with my father, and this is even before I went to college and came into full time, there was one wonderful man from, uh, I think he was from Arlington, and uh, he collected Walden, but he had 2,000 copies of Walden. Mm. Now, he did have a first edition that he had picked up, and you know that was fairly costly, but he had every variant, every different color, every different publisher, every different language, and just every place he went around the world, because he did travel a lot, if he saw a copy of Walden, whether it was a copy that he could pick up for a few pennies, or if it was some sort of variant of an early edition that he had to pay some money for. And the interesting part about it was, you go back to the 1850s when it was first done, and you see the binding and the, the copies. And, but then over the years, you sort of see how they produced it, how some of the illustrations changed, how the covers and the jackets and the paperbacks and the covers, and they actually told you, when you looked at it all, they told you an awful lot about how the society and how the readership looked towards Walden, how they interpreted what Thoreau was trying to say, that back to nature, the, uh, the type of nature, what nature looked like. And, and you can actually see that going from one to one. A year to year to edition so to edition. So the text is the same. Nothing's changed internally, but it's the way the book is packaged? Well, you got, every once in a while you got a children's version of uh. Walden or something, so the text might be. But basically, just by looking at how it was packaged, the, the quality of the paper, the type of paper, the type of cover illustration, you could read a tremendous amount into what the society, what the United States, what different countries— mm thought of Walden and Back to Nature, how important it was, and how they were looking at it by how they interpreted it. And so this collection that you go, why would anybody collect (laughs) this many copies of this book? It actually, for a scholar, for somebody studying it, for somebody wanting to put it to get the idea, was actually an incredibly valuable collection that I don't remember which library he donated it all to, but he donated all as a collection, and it was much, much more valuable as a whole than any mm. of the individual items would have been. I, I would imagine, I mean, I'm just going to toss some names. I mean, everything, we've talked about the Bible before, that's an obvious one, but, you know, Dante's work, or really the old, old scriptures, but then you've got to look at people, I would imagine, like Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, there must be uh, collectors of Huck Finn that go, you know, go back to the time he wrote the first one. I mean, is it that kind of thing? Is it mostly the older stuff? It, it's, it's Well, it's mostly the older stuff to a degree because 
think about it. If you're going to start collecting a book that has hundreds of different editions, yeah. it has to have some age to it. Yeah, just, you're not, you're not collecting get, one James Patterson. Yeah, but, but one uh, type of thing. But uh, one of the things I was going to mention in this is the Bible, because that's sort of mm. the, the exception to the rule. Because if you say, well, someone collects different editions of the Bible, actually, instantly, that makes a lot of sense to people. Because they know there are a million different editions, different uh, translations, different sizes, prices, and, you know, published in different countries, languages. So you say, if you started off with this collecting one book and you said the Bible, people can easily imagine it. But if you said, my wife recently, we went, uh, well, recently now, 10, 15 years ago, I bought a collection of books. Uh, in Maine, and it was in a warehouse, one of the storage areas. The one thing I really remember is the boxes were too big, and it was they were really You heavy. always remember <laughs> the fun of schlepping. You do remember that. But uh, there yeah. was a very nice collection, but in one of the boxes was two or three first editions of Anne Frank, the Diary of Anne. And mm. the actual the first edition of those were done in Europe, and they were actually quite rare. Mm. And my wife said, gee, that." I like that book. It's really interesting. And so she kept one. And then there was one with the, the little bit different illustrations. So she kept two. Now she has about 15 or 20. She doesn't actively collect it in the sense that she, on a weekend, will go to a bookstore and where can we find another Anne Frank? Or when we travel, she doesn't always go out and look. But if one sort of comes across, she looks at it, she gets it, she'll maybe include it maybe ship it back. Or when I get one, I'll say, would you like this one? And she tries to read it once a year. And it's not a big collection, but it's something she likes. One time I went to, uh, I got a call from somebody. And uh, they, I, I, we usually ask, well, about how many books do you have? What kind of books are they? What We try to get an mm -hmm. idea from people before we go out to their houses so that we have some sense it might be worthwhile. And they go, well, we have about 1,500 books. And I go, well, any particular type, subject, or so on. She goes, well, The Ruby Out of Omakayam. I said, well, okay, that's a nice book. What else do you have? She goes, oh, no, we have 1,500 <laughs> Ruby Out of Omakayams. <laughs> and the interesting part about it, I ended up buying the collection. And The Ruby Out is a, a Mideastern poetry. It's a classic of the type. It was first done in English in the 1860s. And literally, I think every day it must come out with a new edition. Mm -hmm. Beautifully illustrated editions. There are some editions of that that are bound in leather with literally jewel-encrusted bindings. So you can get into very, very valuable editions. Or again, you can get your dollar or two paperbacks. But 1,500 copies, and it's just touching the surface uh, of how many you could get. Uh, but it was one of the collections that I bought. We did very successfully. We didn't keep it together as one. If it had been every single one that had ever been done, mm. and this was comprehensive, I probably would have said this should go to a library as is. But you could have collected another 1,500 or 2,000 or 3,000. And I sort of asked them, well, where did this come from? How did, why, you know, to some degree? And it turned out they had inherited it, and their grandfather, just when he was in school, memorized the poem. Now, I, I don't know it. I know I mentioned it once to my father, 
and he could come off with the first page or two. But I guess it was a poem that you many times memorized poetry and then would recite it in school, and he liked it, and it never left him. And every time he saw a copy, and as this man got successful in his business, he was able to not only buy just the general book, but then he was able to buy beautifully leather-bound copies, beautifully illustrated. And the nice part also about collecting something like that is, as opposed to what we talked about in one of the podcasts, Make Way for Ducklings, where the illustrations have to stay the same because you'd lose the book because McCluskey did them, mm. and, and you picture that as the book. In this one, hundreds of different illustrators have interpreted, hundreds of different publishers have printed in fancy or less fancy. So all of that goes into this collection. And then that's one book, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, that that makes so much sense because of the children's story aspect yeah. of it and, and just the legendary status of it. You well, know, Alice in Wonderland, also all of the movies, all of the shows that have come out. And I, again, I there are societies of Wonderland, Alice in Wonderland collectors. And not only do they have the books, but they have the posters, they have the artwork, they have the all of the dolls and images mm. that have come out with it. But the first edition of Alice in Wonderland is incredibly valuable, incredibly rare, because what happened was it came out in London in the 1860s. And they published some and they sent a small group over to the United States. The problem is when it first came out, uh, they didn't like the illustrations. Carol was not happy or Dodson wasn't happy with the illustrations and he wanted them redone. And so they called back all of the English copies. Well, the few that got sent over the United States didn't get called back. There's maybe 10 or 20 or 30 that are known that and just they sell for tens of thousands of dollars. Then you get into the the regular editions and all the 19th century reprints. And there's one copy that I particularly like. And again, you can pick your favorites. There was a group called the Limited Editions Club in the 1930s that started. And they put out classics and in nice editions, beautifully illustrated, sometimes reproducing the original illustrations, but usually signed by the either the author, the printer, the illustrator. And, well, they didn't get any of them. They got Alice when she was 80 years old. The uh, inspiration the, for— The inspiration. Oh, so man. They, had, they put out an edition of Alice in Wonderland and an Alice Through the Looking Glass, both signed by Alice Hargraves, which was her name. That's pretty But impressive. that's one of the ones that I really like. But it's amazing how many people collect Alice in Wonderland. Christmas Carol is one. one another one that I love is The Night Before Christmas— because it's come out in every different shape, size that you can imagine. And, and Ken, I would uh, suggest that maybe it's not too late. If, if I wanted to get started here and I'm thinking to myself, well, what book should I jump into? Even if it's Alice in Wonderland, I can still develop a collection because there must be so much product out there, right? Oh, there's thousands and thousands of them. And what you can, one of the things about collecting that I tell people when they're thinking of starting a collection, is find something that interests you, something that you like, that you enjoy, uh, whether it's a childhood book, whether it's a subject that you like, whether it's 
something, but also stop and you want to collect something that you can afford. I mean, there's no point in collecting Audubon's original folio that right now there's one coming up for sale for six to eight million dollars if your budget is six to eight dollars. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, you're not going to get one. Unlikely. Yeah. But also, no matter how much money you have, you also want to collect something that's actually out there and available because the most fun of collecting is the hunt, the search, the going out, the looking at, to be able to go to every bookstore, antique, flea market, auction house, whatever, and yeah. always hoping when you're driving down the road in some back roads in Vermont or in Wisconsin or down south, that maybe there's a small store around the corner you can pull over, and in that is going to be maybe a dollar copy of whatever book it is, be it the Walden, the uh, be it the others, the, but there might be that one mm. that you never even knew existed that might have been done locally. And for a dollar or two, you can pick it up. And that, that you say that that is the joy of collecting. That is the fun. And usually, yeah. what happens when somebody's that passionate about one book, one subject, one area, there are other people that are interested and passionate about it, and, and they the, get to know each other. And with the online communities that build up, it's it's just a beautiful way to connect with people who have a similar interest. Well, the reality is, even before online. There were societies Absolutely. and groups. So this was even pre-internet. <laughs> That's right. Not just the Baker boys in uh, London who collected uh, Conan Doyle, but all of the others. Well, th there's one for you to start collecting, Sherlock Holmes. That's what And all the different editions. But it's amazing how many books like that, that's sort of the classics, yeah. that have come out. And you can really make a collection at, at whatever budget level you want, whatever area you want in whatever languages you want, and put together a collection that maybe nobody else has quite thought of before and have a lot of fun doing it. And folks, if you have a follow-up to this and have a specific book in mind, you can write to Ken, and he'll be glad to uh, kick it around with you because you love this stuff when people have ideas of their own, right? I, I particularly love it when they have ideas, but I particularly love it when they come up with ideas that I haven't thought of. Right. And right. you go, wow, that's really good. <laughs> and then other ones you go, why would you possibly want to do that? And then sometimes you stop and say, the next day you go, you know, there's some sense to it. And there are some, quite honestly, that I know about from years ago, and I still don't understand still why the heck they head. care about this stuff. Well, it, it, <laughs> at this point, it only matters if you're enjoying it and you have a passion for it and you can afford it. But it's a great, great topic. The one book that you're collecting and how many issues you're going to get is just one of the many topics we talk about here in the Brattlecast. And for details on much more, go to brattlebookshop.com. And uh, if you're out there collecting, enjoy the hunt, right? Well, that's that's a lot of the fun in you don't use the excuse you can't afford it because you can always find something in your uh, value and in, in your, what price, you can range. In your well, price range. Take, it's always there. You're the man who knows better than anyone. So thank you. Ken Gloss joining me, Jordan Rich. And you've been listening to the Brattlecast. Take care.